Hi again, it's David Shirley from Irish Funds. On the 21st of October, we ran a webinar in conjunction with AMA entitled Asia and the ILP, Ireland's new closed-ended private fund structure, from which comes this podcast episode. It's a panel discussion covering Ireland's new private fund structure, the Investment Limited Partnership, how it compares to other onshore limited partnership structures in Hong Kong and Singapore, as well as other trends in the private funds space. So our AMA host in Hong Kong is Michael Bugle, who's co-head of their APAC office. The moderator from Dublin is Paul Martin from PwC. We have speakers including David Fowler from SAN, based in London, Christine Masters from HSBC in Singapore, and Nick Blake-Knox from Walkers, based in Dublin. I hope you enjoy this episode and check back soon for more great content. Good morning. Good afternoon and hello to those who are listening on the replay function today. My name is Michael Bugle. I co-head the AMA uh, structure in the APEC region, which encompasses five uh, countries in total. It's a pleasure on behalf of AMA to be working together with the Irish funds this afternoon. The discussion this afternoon or morning, depending where you are, will be around limited partnership structures, primarily looking at the new investment limited partnership structure in Ireland, ILP but also looking at the other structures available, notably in Hong Kong and Singapore. This will also include an overall discussion on uh, other trends that we're seeing in the private fund space uh, across the, the, the areas with, under discussion. And uh, we have a great panel, as you can see, in play today. And to get us started uh, and intro the panel, I'm going to very happily hand over the mic to Paul Martin, director at PwC. Over to you, Paul. Thank you. Thanks very much, Michael, and good morning and good, af- good afternoon, everyone. Uh, delighted to delighted to be speaking with you today. Um, as Michael uh, said, my name is Paul Martin. I'm a director in uh, in our asset management group here in Dublin, and I chair the Irish Funds Asia Working Group um, here in Ireland. I'm really delighted to uh, to moderate today's panel, and I'm joined by a really expert group of people, uh, really across the globe, uh, in fact. So. We have Nick Blake Knox, um, the head of the investment management group with with uh, Walker Walkers, a uh, partner in that group. We have David Fowler. He's the head of uh, private equity for Sand Group, based in London. And we have Christine Masters, who's a director of the security services Asian business development for HSBC. Um, so. Delighted to have everyone on uh, for this webinar. Um, for attendees willing to ask, uh, looking for for uh, any questions, there are, there is a questions box function. So please submit any questions through that function. Any questions that we don't get, to, Irish Funds will follow up with follow up with you after this uh, event. Um, I'm also delighted to say that we do have a, a glossy brochure um, that we published for today's event, which is. Uh, provides some more detail about Ireland's new closing the private structure with the, the ILP, which we'll be speaking about today. And that is available via the handouts function uh, with, within the app for you for you today. Um, so I suppose to, to kick things off, the, the big trend we've, re, we've seen in recent years is uh, was around alternative assets. That's really now progressed into into private assets with significant levels of dry powder now moving towards and chasing chasing private assets. And it's a trend really we very much see we see continuing 
particularly in this low interest rate environment as the as the chase for yields continues so we've also seen different structures then around the world uh, or different jurisdictions around the world um implement and create new structures i suppose to take advantage uh, of this trend and be be available and be at the forefront of this trend so um I, i'm really um so over the course of today's webinar we'll talk about like ireland's offering the, the new investment limited limited partnership we'll then move in to talk about uh, what hong kong and Sing singapore have to offer um we'll talk about uh, selling your fund, which is a, which is a really, a really, really key point in terms of actually being successful with your funds and how, how that works in Europe. And then, uh, as Michael mentioned, we will look at some kind of key trends across the industry. Um, but I might just first kick off um, and talk about the the investment limited partnership and bring in uh, Nick from Walkers. Nick, um, the ILP, it's um, launched with a lot of fanfare in Ireland um, in recent months. Can you talk us maybe through some of the key the key um, features of, of the ILP? Yeah, sure. Uh, and, and really nice to be here with you today, Paul, um, and, and my fellow guests um, or panelists. Um, yeah, I, th I think the first point to mention is that the ILP is not a new product. Um, so the ILP has been around since 1994, in fact. and one of the issues or you know uh, kind of like several issues was that really the legislation that was in place at that stage um you know wasn't really fit for purpose in terms of you know the kind of best in class limited partnership structure that we would see in other jurisdictions um you know for for private funds and you know particularly for for real asset strategies um and so a lot of work went into a review uh, of the investment limited partnership um uh, act and in 2020 uh, there was an investment limited Partnership Amendment Act, um, and that was um, came into effect in February of 2021, um, and that made a number of enhancements to the existing uh, legislation that we have. Um, I think it's important to note as well that Ireland is really a leading funds domicile, and when we look at growth in funds over the last, you know, kind of five, ten years, the the, the growth has really been incredible. Um, but when we look at the types of funds that utilize limited partnership structures, and particularly when we look at private equity and real estate, I think this was kind of the missing uh, feather in our bow. And really, um, you know, we're delighted to see um, this legislation finally being enacted. Um, we've also seen through the course of the year, the Central Bank of Ireland introducing certain guidance um, that's very welcome uh, in relation to closed ended funds and particularly kind of typical features that you would see in these types of funds. So things like um, excuse and exclude provisions, uh, clarity in relation to how carry will be extracted um, and you know, kind of rules around that. Um, provision for stage investing, which you know is, is common in evergreen type funds. So we're, we're really excited about this, I have to say. And there's a lot of expertise in Ireland, both you know outside of the, the legal practitioners, but on the administration side, depository side, and so really well placed to you know I, I guess support the growth uh, you know what we expect to see with the ILP. So I mean, in terms of the, the key features of the ILP, I mean the first point just to make is that it is a, a common law. Uh, partnership and um, as we look around Europe, I mean there, there are different um, you know kind of legal systems in play, but but that common law aspect is quite uh, important and certainly for managers in particular jurisdictions, you know for example in the U.S. Um, and even in Asia, I think that you know knowing that it is common law um, you know kind of regime um, that governs this is, is quite important. 
Um, in terms of asset classes, you know, we expect that the, the limited partnership will um, predominantly be used for less liquid assets. So your, your classic kind of private fund uh, assets, um, so private equity, uh, private credit, real estate, venture capital. Um, you know, so so all, all of those strategies that you would typically see uh, in, in a limited partnership. Um, the, the ILP, uh, the Investment Limited Partnership, uh, must be established as an AFE, so it, it must be an alternative investment fund. Um, and it can be established as a retail alternative investment fund, but we think primarily these funds will be set up as, as what's known as a qualifying investor alternative investment fund, and that's you know, colloquially known as, as a QAIF. Um, and I expect that you know, the majority, you know, 95 plus percent of these funds will be set up as, as QAIFs. Um, and that provides a very flexible uh, regulatory um, regime. So uh, QAIFs themselves are not subject to um, you know, specific investment restrictions by and large. There are certain rules that you know, are contained in the AFE rulebook for, from a strategy perspective, you know, diversification, asset classes, those types of things. It, it's very flexible. Um, and then, of course, then you, you, you have your investment limited partnership. So um, the, the ILP um, contains all of the provisions that you would expect to see in the best in class uh, limited partnership regime. Um, one of the aspects that was reviewed as part of the ILP Amendment Act was to look at the safe harbor activities, you know, so, so things that limited partners can carry out without being considered to, to kind of act as a, a general uh, manager of the fund. And that's obviously important because the, the limited partnership itself um, provides limited liability for, for LPs. So you want certainty as to what activities that you can carry out without, um, you know, kind of creating any liability risk. Uh, and that is all set out in, in, the, in the acts and through the amendment acts. Um, you know, other features, so in terms of the general partner itself, um, so the general partner we will typically see be established as an Irish limited company. Now there are not the, the, the act provides flexibility in terms of where the GP may be established, but typically we will see an Irish GP um, to give some substance to that partnership and the domicile in Ireland. But you can have more than one GP, um, and in relation then to uh, carried interest and how that you know will be extracted from the fund, we're typically seeing that that will be by by you know uh, investment through through um, or by, from a limited partner uh, in the partnership so you'll typically have you know a special limited partner um, that will be entitled to receive carry and that that um, uh, limited partner will be connected to the the investment manager or, or, or the, um, the GP um, so, so a very typical structure there um, the investment limited partnership uh, does not have separate legal personality um, it, it is transparent from a, a tax perspective but importantly from a tax perspective, it is um, an investment undertaking. So services that will be provided to the uh, ILP, um, you know, in relation to the management of that entity will not be subject to, to VAT. Obviously other services may, may be, but important in relation to the core investment management and, you know, kind of collective management services that are, are, are provided. Um, other key features include the fact that it can be established as an umbrella structure. So the, the ILP may be formed um, and multiple Kind of compartments may be uh, may be issued. So um, although we typically see for private equity type funds a single limited partnership per per fund, it is possible to create compartments within this structure. And each of those compartments benefits from segregated liability as a matter of, of Irish law. Um, so we, we may well see managers seeking to utilize this um, you know this flexibility for, for certain types of, of uh, funds strategies. 
Um, so, I mean, they're the kind of the key features. That there are no limitations on the, the numbers of LPs you may have. Um, you know, unlike some other partnership regimes, and if you look at the 1907 Limited Partnership, which is an unregulated partnership here, which is based off uh, law that would have been in the UK previously, um, you may withdraw capital during the life of the of the fund, and that's really important. So, um, so it can be equity; it, it is equity funded, uh, as opposed to having to debt fund the the structure due to restrictions on capital withdrawals. So that's another very uh, positive feature here as well. Um, and then finally, and it may be of interest for for our uh, Asian attendees today, um, the the Act also provides for the ability to designate a foreign name uh, for the partnership. And that may include characters uh, outside of the, the the Roman alphabet, so um, you know uh, Asian characters and, and other names that can be used, and that will be recognised then as a kind of an official name of the partnership by by the central bank. So they're kind of key features, Paul, and, and hopefully that gives you a flavour of what's in, involved. Yeah, that's super. That's a really helpful overview. Lots of really positive stuff there. Um, I suppose we hear all that. Um, well, what are kind of, I suppose maybe the practical considerations you think of for for setting up these and your experience of them to date? Yeah, th uh, yeah. I mean, there's a few things to consider. I mean, I guess the first thing, and we ha haven't touched on this, um, is just the parties that are involved in in operating, uh, you know, a European fund. So, practical consideration for. Asian investment managers, for example, is that they will need to identify um, typically an AFM, um, so an alternative investment fund manager. Um, that provides the ability then to to market this fund, you know, um, throughout Europe. But I know we're going to talk about marketing separately. But just identifying the service providers is is a practical consideration. Um, I think the fact that the product is is a regulated fund product, so that should be borne in mind as well. So um, there is an engagement um, that needs to take place with the Central Bank of Ireland. Um, now, actually, having a regulated fund product and, and a regulated investment limited partnership, um, I think there's definitely a place for that. And certainly, certain categories of investors and institutional investors, I think, will take comfort from the fact that the product is regulated in a flexible manner, so that the fund can invest in a you know, kind of a, in, in a broad range of asset classes and you know as i've mentioned already but it is regulated and that means that there is a certain engagement that needs to take place with the regulator one of those things is that the gp the general partner of the the, the partnership the the directors of that general partner uh, need to go through a fitness and probity clearance with the central bank so that's really just to confirm that the the directors are fit and proper um you know that they haven't had any sanctions have the appropriate expertise and um, so that is a process that takes place that can take a few weeks uh you know maybe two to three weeks typically to have that clearance so that should be borne in mind the other um interaction then with the central bank is where you're acting as an investment manager to an irish fund and the central bank needs to approve you to do that now they don't regulate the the foreign investment manager but again they just want to make sure that the im is is you know essentially proper as well um, and there's a short kind of application that that goes in uh, with that so there's a few kind of just engagements with the central bank but none of these uh, you know we would view as particularly onerous um, the only other aspect then is just depending on the asset class, if it is a real estate fund uh, or um, if it is a fund that is a kind of essentially a loan origination fund, um, then there's certain information that's provided to the central bank in advance of the authorization. Um, but outside of that, the process is very streamlined. Um, it is a 24 hour filing process with the central bank. So you get all of your documentation. 
documentation, excuse me, your LPA, your, your offering uh, memorandum, you know, the, the service provider agreements, you file those with the central bank and 24 hours later, then the, the ILP will be authorized. Um, so, you know, kind of very streamlined process, but these are things just to think about. And I would say the service provider selection is obviously important as well, because outside of a 24 hour filing process, obviously it takes time just to identify and select service providers. And if this is the first time you've launched a fund in Europe, you may not already have, you know, an AFM or a depository, you know, uh, you know ready to go. Great, yeah. No, I think that, that all make, makes a lot of sense. They're really, really good points there, Nick. And um, I suppose there there is a vast experience across the industry in terms of helping new entrants um, with setting up these structures. Um, I, I mentioned, you know, ILP, it's in a number of months, the revised ILP is in a number of months. Can you maybe just talk about, uh, give us a bit of flavor in terms of uh, uptake on, on the structure so far? Yeah, I mean, the, the interest has been really, really positive. Um, I think just given the nature of private funds um, that use these types of structures, a lot of managers might have done their first five funds, they're moving on to their sixth fund. Um, you know, they have a kind of tried and tested structure there and kind of moving across obviously is, is a big decision. Um, but we are starting to see a lot of interest. There have been a number of ILPs um, approved since the amendments have taken place earlier in this year. We're currently working on, on several of them, um, private equity, private credit funds, including with um, you know, kind of North American managers. And um, so I, I think that actually, as we get through the end of this year and we see more and more of these authorized, I think next year is probably going to be the year where we see a really big, uh, a big uptake. But it's been very positive um, and lots of positive uh, kind of comments on Ireland as a jurisdiction to do business. So a lot of people are very familiar with the ICAF and I think they're they're kind of crying out to be able to set up funds here now because the experience has been positive, you know, from a service provider perspective, et cetera. Great, yeah. No, and I certainly echo those comments in terms of what we're seeing across our own client base. Um, so that, that, that's very positive here to hear. Uh, and maybe just before I pass to the other speakers, um, Nick, just a final thought. How does it compare into kind of other equivalent structures, you know, popular other LP structures that are used across the globe? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I think the first point just to make is that when um, these enhancements were being looked at, um, you know, it was very much trying to identify what are the best in class features, you know, in, in partnership structures across the globe. So regard would have been added to, you know, um, partnership structures in other jurisdictions, you know, whether it be Cayman, Delaware, you know, Luxembourg. Um, and I think as we look down through the, the legislation, all of those features that you would expect to see, um, you know, are provided for. We, we've done extensive analysis in Walker's, you know, to, to kind of map out differences between the different domiciles. And, and there are not significant issues. I, I guess the one difference would be um, just the regulated nature of the product. Um, you know, we, we think that's a positive uh, feature, um, whereas in some jurisdictions, maybe the products are not regulated. But in terms of, you know, transparency, flexibility, um, you know, the kind of provisions around safe harbor activities that I mentioned earlier, excuse me, um, you know, a lot of those flexibility around GPs and LPs, you know, that, that is all contained in there. And I, I think it stacks up really favorably, actually. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much, uh, Nick. Um, that's that's great. Um, maybe you know if we could maybe I suppose just change the direction of the conversation to to see what we're happening, uh, hearing across uh, and seeing across other structures. Um, Christina, I might come to you first, um, and, and given your um, given your role in 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 Singapore, um, uh, we hear a lot about the VCC and its popularity. 
Can you maybe just um, give us a give, give us a sense around the VCC and some of its key features? Yeah, no, thanks, Paul. Um, now we've seen a very good uptake on the VCC. I think that's globally quite um, known. I think the VCC, in terms of setup, the idea uh, really was in Singapore. We see seventy more than seventy percent offshore funds and not being managed uh, onshore, and there was a greater need to have that in a corporate form without the existing corporate features um, and in, in incorporate more investment funds type of features um, and again to have more localized structures in Asia um, as as we're seeing more of a global push for substance and transparency of the fund. Um, so we worked really closely in HSBC with the MAS to further develop this well before launch and the uptick is um, you know, has, has been great. Um, I think one of the benefits of the VCC, and I would say um, Nick has alluded to for the IOP as well, is the flexibility, having uh, the segregation of an umbrella structure or choosing this as a standalone. Um, you know, and it coexists together with other fund structures that we have in Singapore, not necessarily having just one, but multiple fund structures, and that helps in creating a fund hub. Um, I think the features, um, you know, in terms of uh, similar to the IOP, it has attracted a lot in the private asset space, not just as a, um, you know, as a fund structure, but also investors and asset managers are looking in their search for yield in a low interest rate environment to set up more uh, having a fund structure that allows for open-ended uh, as well as illiquid structures um, in the private equity real real estate um, space. Singapore itself has, um, you know, its success is because it's very transparent, it's a tax neutral um, jurisdiction, but also the VCC allows for, in line with the Company Act, to make use of the um, tax treaties that Singapore has in place with multiple jurisdictions. So the success of uh, the VCC has been due to all of these features with greater flexibility um, as well as the quick setup um, and Singapore as a location um, has been quite uh, overwhelming. I think within a year we've seen, you know, more than 200. We're now at over 300 VCC setups and mostly in the private assets space and not just for local investors. And we'll get to the passporting later on. But I guess what really helps is the VCC is similar to what we see elsewhere, a global fund structure that has features that investors and managers are very familiar with and hence can be used for overseas distribution uh, on, in the institutional space. So we are seeing, for example, parallel structures uh, with other global fund structures in this space. And Great. maybe I'll pass it on to Sorry, David Christine. to maybe I'll pass it on to David to talk more about the legal aspects of setting such structures in a in the VCC in that construct. Thanks. Thanks, Christine. Nice segue there. Um, I, I guess just quickly, so I'm Although I'm um, based in London and global head of PE for SAN, I, I've just returned from from eight years in Singapore, so um, also very familiar with with that VCC structure and and its use. And, and like Christine said, we have seen um, you know a good amount of success over the last um, eighteen months to two years with um, up to three hundred uh, VCCs having been launched um, to date. Um, you know, I 
I agree with, with with what Christine's saying. I think what what I would say is that um, in terms of the size of those funds or the size of the vehicles that have been launched, they've tended to be on the, the smaller side up until now. Um, there is a grant that the MAS in Singapore provides mm -hmm. to managers um, for up to 150 grand for setup costs. So that has been appealing, especially to 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 emerging emerging managers. Um, so that has had a play. I think before I go into the parallel structures, I think what's interesting about the VCC is, you know, it's got that open-ended and close-ended close capability. Um, so we do see it used as a fund um, with investors coming in directly, be they from Asia or, or elsewhere in the world. Um, but increasingly for the, the larger managers that have taken up that vehicle, we're seeing it as uh, seeing it being used as a holding vehicle structure um, within a larger fund structure where they may be using you know, Ireland, Cayman, um, Luxembourg, etc. At, at the top end. Where I see the sort of ILP fitting in with the VCC, um, I think there's two ways. So we're seeing a lot of our clients who are looking to, to market to Europe um, and are, are attracting European investors using a European structure, um, feeding into the Singapore VCC, um, and then using that VCC um, as an investment vehicle into Asia, particularly Southeast Asia and India. The second way we're also seeing this um, is, is is as a parallel structure. Um, so I can see the ILP being used as the um, pooling vehicle for, for European investors in parallel to a VCC or potentially even a Cayman vehicle for um, those Asian investors who have that familiarity with those vehicles and, and benefiting from the tax um, tax neutrality and tax concessions that they can get through that that Singapore VCC. Um, so that, that's kind of what we're seeing in terms of, of structuring. I think the other thing just to point out in terms of the VCC is that um, a Singapore uh, regulated or licensed manager is required um, in order to open up that vehicle. Um, so it's important that managers that are looking at this from outside of Singapore um, you know, understand what they need to do in terms of setting up in Singapore and having that, that substance and presence on the ground and the license application that will be required for, for that process. Great. Thanks very much, David and Christine. That, that's, that's really helpful. Um, Michael, if I could come to you, um, Hong Kong obviously has a lot of movement, um, creating its own structures. Do you want to maybe just talk talk a bit about what's happening there and um, and how, how Hong Kong is competing in this space? Yeah, thank you. The the landscape in Hong Kong really has pertained to fund structures. It's really down to two main structures, which is the open-ended fund company known as the OFC and the limited partnership fund, the LPF. Both certainly been very well received. They've been in sort of play over the past three years. Obviously the intent like other, other jurisdictions is to encourage a presence in Hong Kong and to further grow the international uh, hub, hub, asset management hub um, that we have here in Hong Kong. The LPF structure is in essence, <clears throat> in its current format, dates back to sort of August, 2020. It's actually uh, been very, very popular. I think the latest count we've had now, we've had 310 plus registered so it's been very successful the structure like all other limited partnerships generally speaking is flexible low cost has good tax concessions uh, as uh, nick alluded to before it has the carried interest concession to pe funds and um, it's it's just particularly been very popular with actually uh, the mainland uh, investors are from china who have used this platform to raise capital and invest in sort of certain illiquid projects, um, you know, like a biotech or, or what have you. So it's been very, and also projects in the Greater Bay Area uh, in, in the region. 
So um, mainly the take-up has been from PE and, and VC, to be honest. But um, again, focus on more the illiquid end of, of the spectrum. But, um, and there are grants available from Hong Kong government for the OFC structures uh, and real estate funds. So it's, uh, it's, it had a slow start, but it's actually coming to the fore quite strongly now. And the take-up, I think, will, will keep on the current momentum. Great. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, that's the impressive numbers from, from both Hong Kong and, and Singapore in term, terms of launches. Um, and, and indeed, what, what Nick has said in terms of in terms of in terms of decrease and in terms of like the trajectory in terms of more of these structures uh coming on shore it's certainly a trend that, that we're all seeing across the board um so i suppose setting up a fund is one thing um but being able to sell the fund is is another thing um and it's a really important aspect of, of you know making a fund making a fund successful um nick maybe if i could come to you first um what do you see as the main considerations for 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 distributing your funds or passporting your your your, your funds uh, with, with an Irish uh, fund structure? Yeah, thanks, Paul. And, and um, you know, I think well, the first consideration is having the right structure. Um, and I'm interested in David's comments there. You know, typically these funds, um, you know, structures involve multiple funds, and there may be fundraising and, and pooling of, of of capital in in different fund vehicles, which may be set up in different jurisdictions. So, completely concur with, with David in terms of potentially seeing some of these other vehicles, um, either in parallel structures or, or maybe as as feeder funds coming in, and actually in the structures that we are working on in relation to IIP, that's very much the case. So you'll have your master fund, um, you know, which will will be the ILP, <clears throat> but then they will be collecting uh, capital from different regions, you know, using different structures. And again, depending on whether it's Asian investors or if it's U.S. investors that have, you know, UBTI considerations, whatever it might be, um, actually selecting the right vehicle is is very important. Um, I think the thing with the ILP is that, um, you know, unlike the ICAV, uh, which we have, which is a, a kind of a like your VCC structure that you refer to there, um, that that can be used uh, as an investor-facing vehicle. Sometimes it can be used within a fund structure and may not be the investor-facing vehicle all the time. But I think the ILP will very much be an investor-facing structure. That that is a, a fund that will have multiple investors typically, or or you know feeder funds will feed feed through it. Um, and to be able to avail of kind of the marketing, um, you know, kind of. Uh, flexibility that you need in, in Europe and um, the ILP can appoint an AFM um, and a depository uh, will be done through its GP obviously and that then allows you to avail of the of the marketing passport here in the EU so that's if you want to attract European investors it's really important and there are particular jurisdictions in Europe um, you know like Italy uh, France, Spain, where actually asset raise or capital raising is very difficult uh, if you don't have the passport because the private placement regimes that are very restrictive and um you know even this year we've heard kind of statements from uh, esma around reverse solicitation and you know that can't be essentially a strategy to to raise assets so utilizing the ilp um you can gain access to that aifmd uh, marketing passport and just to speak about the asian piece so obviously uh, Asian managers that are looking to raise assets in, in Europe um, can utilize this structure. We have seen uh, Irish funds sold in, in uh, Asia 
in the past as well and obviously more on the the retail side but there may be possibilities to have kind of limited offerings of these types of fund structures um you know within different asian jurisdictions as well and um, the other thing i would just mention is that we have a lot of asian investment managers that act for irish funds so the central bank for example is very familiar with you know hong kong managers or singaporean managers um, and i mentioned that clearance earlier and um, in terms of the, the fundraising in, in europe then there's a few considerations and actually this year we've seen um kind of, uh, there was a, a cross-border uh kind of distribution directive and, and regulation which has actually um kind of changed some of the you know the the, the kind of requirements around marketing in, in europe one of the things that's been introduced is the concept of pre-marketing um so it is now possible to file a pre-marketing letter with the, the home regulator, the AFM would do that, and that can be sent to different jurisdictions in Europe, um, and you can go out and you can have discussions around the product, um, you know, kind of that, that kind of pre-marketing stage before actually you're giving them sufficient information that they can actually invest in the fund. So there's certain things you can do to stay within that pre-marketing framework, but that allows you to have discussions at a much earlier stage, and so for Asian managers that are looking at, at these types of structures, uh, what they should be thinking about is, um, you know, do, do I have an AFM in, uh, in Europe that can facilitate these discussions? Now, the actual pre-marketing activities or, you know, and marketing uh, in many cases um, needs to be carried out by appropriately licensed uh, firms if you're appointing another firm to do that. So uh, MIFID firms, AFMs, that type of thing. So again, when you're thinking about marketing in Europe, that, that kind of regulatory landscape is, is very important. The cross-border distribution framework has kind of streamlined things uh, to, to some extent, but there are still regulatory permissions and things that you just need to think about if you're if you're offering funds in in Europe. Um, but the process is very streamlined. You you appoint um, your AFM. Uh, you'll have a depository for the fund once it's launched and essentially it's just a marketing notification that's sent to the home regulator uh, so let's say the AFM is in Ireland and then that is transmitted to the various different jurisdictions in Europe that you wish to market uh, and from there then marketing can take place in respect to the fund and as I said if you're not at that stage um, you can look at the possibility of pre-marketing now as well which is great because before these measures came in there were very ad hoc rules in different jurisdictions um, you know as to whether they even permitted pre-marketing um, sometimes once the fund was formed you know you couldn't do it or in another jurisdiction and we have different rules as well so there's a little bit to navigate um, but what I would say is that once you get that passporting notification it really opens yeah. up the whole of, of the EU for, for EEA, EEA actually uh, for, for marketing. Great, thanks Nick. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a, that's a re really important point around passporting. Uh, Christine, maybe if we come back to you in terms of um, so in terms of the VCC in Singapore, what you're seeing from a distribution perspective uh, there, and what 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 are you seeing working well um, from a distribution perspective? Um, so from an institutional side, from a VCC or any local product um, that works, and we've seen that there's appetite, there's adoption from an investor perspective. I think the big, uh, the key uh, feature of the VCC is that it is, um, yes, you can passport it across uh, a scheme like the ASEAN CIS. Um, yeah, and yes, it's possible. Have we seen a lot of adoption? Not yet. I think we will see as we anticipate Singapore and thus the VCC being able to um, in the Asian region passporting. Um, so in theory, yes, it's it's in terms of these passporting schemes, um, we are yet to see a lot of take up. 
uh, but it is possible. Um, for passporting into Europe, um, you know, I mentioned to before, we've seen the use of BCC as a master feeder or feeder or master standalone. Um, I guess it depends for us when we speak to the managers, it really does depend on investors adoption. If they are familiar with these existing structures, the VCC may not be on top of their list. Um, and, and, and it is, it may be in terms of setup, uh, very like for like uh, to other funds that we're seeing. So I think in, in terms of passporting, it is possible. It is a consideration for our managers. However, it is still very much driven on the capital raising side and investors um, being comfortable. So we have worked around, you know, getting investors institutional, especially in Europe um, to, um, you know, through roadshows with the MAS to ensure that they are getting more familiar with Asian structures. Um, you know, the trend and we'll come back to that later, but. The trend is certainly to raise capital a lot more in Asia and vice versa outbound from Asia um, to Europe. We're seeing a lot more of that. Uh, and we hope the BCC or any other fund, Asian fund structures, and I'm probably looking at Michael nodding there, the familiarity yeah. and adoption uh, will drive this. Right. Thanks. Thanks, Christine. Yeah, no, I think that's that, 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 that's really uh, helpful. And um, maybe just a reminder to people: there is a question function. Though, if any of the um, the attendees like to ask questions, there is there is that function via the question box function. Um, thanks for that, Christine. Um, David, Michael, you know, from your perspective, what are you seeing in terms of from from or anything to add from from a distribution or, or selling selling funds perspective um, that that you're currently seeing? I'll just say one thing. <clears throat> sort of a common feature in, in sort of the, the hedge fund P space here in Hong Kong is that a lot of the investors will be allocated uh, very much American uh, led, um, not so much uh, local based investors invested in the P and or more importantly the hedge funds. But um, I think, as Christine alluded to, that will change over time. It just takes a bit more time. That's just been the structure over the past 10 years. But I do see the, the European investors growing for sure, and absolutely the Asian-based Asian investors are growing at a pace in terms of their allocation to the alternative space. Great. Thank you very much. Um, maybe if we maybe move on then um, to just, I suppose, Trends across private assets, uh, as I mentioned in kind of my opening remarks, um, we've seen significant inflows of capital moving towards private assets. Increasingly, seen ESG coming on the radar um, and an increased focus on kind of sustainable investing um, in, in these longer-term assets than maybe what we've seen in previous years. Uh, David, maybe if I could come to you first um, in your in your global um, head of private equity role in San. You're now seeing in London, you were in, in Singapore. What are you seeing across your business? What, do you, what are the kind of the main trends that you're seeing um, across your, your own client base? Sure, no, thanks. Thanks, Paul. I mean, I, I think it's been, it's, been a, it's been a very interesting 18, 18 months, obviously, with, um, with, with COVID. I didn't want to mention that word today, but I think I have to. Um, <laughs> no choice. You know, we, um, we, saw, we saw within um, sort of Q2 of 2020 that there was... You know, obviously there was that drop in valuations amongst the private asset base. 
we were also seeing um, a slowdown in funds being raised. And, and I think there was a question mark about what was going to happen next. I think the really good news was that there was a quick bounce back in terms of both valuations and, and fundraising. Initially, um, we saw the funds that were being raised tended to be from those um, larger managers with with long track records who were able to you know attract capital from their existing existing investors who knew them who knew them well and didn't have that trouble of going out and finding new investors and fundraising however over the last sort of six to nine months that's also changed so emerging managers are definitely coming to the fore um, fundraising has obviously become a little bit easier with with certain travel restrictions being eased and I think people or investors are, com are more comfortable now um, investing in, in those new managers so as a whole we've definitely seen a huge um, increase in in terms of fundraising and the new funds being launched over the certainly the last 12 months and that looks to continue into 2022 we've got um, a number of managers that we're working with who are um, looking at their launches for, for Q1 next year um, so that all looks all looks really promising um, I think in, in terms of um, what we're seeing, in terms of what investors are looking for, um, there definitely has been an increase in, in specialized funds. Um, so that could be a sec sector specialism. So for instance, um, med, um, healthcare, financial services have definitely been resilient sectors throughout this pandemic. And there has been a, a sort of draw to, to those sectors in terms of what managers are focusing on. So we have seen, um, certainly more funds focus, um, setting up and specializing in those sectors um, and giving investors that concentration. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, I think we've also seen um, strategy strategy focus as well. So funds setting up specializing in minority investments, um, specializing in secondary investments. Um, give, giving investors those specialisms has definitely been a trend um, that, that we've been looking at. Um, I think in terms of geographical focus, um, again, initially, I think when sort of things really opened up, there was um, really a move to the more established markets. So investors were going into the markets they felt more comfortable with and maybe the emerging market yeah. suffered a, bit, a little bit as a result of that. I think that's starting to, to change and, and people's risk appetite is is increasing. Um, I think sort of moving away from, from pro the sort of pure private equity on the real estate side, that's definitely been a you know, huge, um, hugely successful and um, a hub of activity over the last 12 months. Um, within Asia, there's certainly been a lot of investment um, within um, Korea, Japan, and Australia, if I, if I in sort of extend to Australia um, on the real estate piece, and then vice versa, Asian capital coming into Europe, particularly the, the London market. Um, has, has been something that we continue to see. Um, I think sort of outside that, the, the sort of hot topic that, that everyone's talking to and every manager is mentioning is ESG. Uh, again, I don't think you can go through a webinar without mentioning that at least once. Um, yeah. That's certainly <laughs> something that we're, we're talking to our clients about regularly. So managers um, are obviously concerned in terms of reporting requirements. We, we have a number of managers who are you know, impact managers in, with impact funds or ESG focused funds, but pretty much the you know majority of managers that you talk to will have some ESG focus now and will be looking at the ESG at that due diligence stage. It will be a section of their investment memo um, because, <coughs> excuse me, the LPs are driving this. 
Um, so where you have institu especially institutional investors, they are essentially looking through their fund investments at those portfolio companies and having to be clear on those ESG um, requirements in order to, to fulfill their own, um, their own reporting needs. So we're talking to a lot of managers around supporting them with that ESG reporting process. So we have a, a product that supports them with that. Um, that's at sort of the downstream level, I think, also um, equally important on ESG is the manager's own focus on their own business. So, you know, it's all very well setting up a fund and saying I'm you know, ESG focused or impact focused, but for investors to get real comfort, they want to know that that sort of ethos, that culture runs throughout the manager's business as well. Um, so we're seeing managers focusing on, on their own, their own business at the manager level. And we've been supporting them with that in terms of train training and advisory too. Um, and I think that's a trend that, that is going to continue. Um, over, over the next two years and COVID has really just accelerated that that move into the ESG space. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks, David. Uh, certainly agree, agree with a lot of what you had said there. Uh, Michael, I might come to you. I saw you nodding quite a bit as David was going through. I see. <laughs> um, I think yeah. David, David's what do you want? all the yeah. points. Quite funny. But what I'll do <laughs> just, just put a few things off. I mean, we've talked, we've, we've hit on structures. Um, obviously, still in the Asia Pacific area, the, the Cayman structures are still obviously the dominant uh, force. But as we discussed, local structures are definitely eating away at the market share. So that's definitely happening without any question whatsoever. The second thing is from a name of perspective, because obviously we look at the alternative space. Um, the it's very vibrant. It's very very healthy. We've seen uh, we've seen a massive growth in in hedge fund activity, um, both in setup um, in the private credit space, private debt space, hedge fund space and the P and VC space. And also um, a lot of funds are now becoming hybrid or multi-strat. So suddenly a hedge funds now become has a PE arm, a VC arm. And one thing we haven't mentioned, which is growing in popularity apart from ESG, which is definitely the, the flavor in play, is the digital asset space. That is very, very much talked about here in Hong Kong and in Singapore, and Singapore is very friendly towards that asset class. Um, I don't think you can call yourself a global anything these days without having an Asian presence. So I think we're seeing more and more hedge funds, especially from the States, uh, where they're obviously bigger than Ben-Hur. They are now setting up in Hong Kong and Singapore without question. So that is definitely coming through. And um, thirdly, I think you know, the allocation to the region is has increased, is increasing, and I don't see that stopping um, at all. And then the last thing I would say is that the regulatory or the regulator engagement uh, with AMA or with other associations is nothing but increasing. I think there is an increase, and we've already, which Christine touched on it, is that... Um, you know, each jurisdiction wants its rules and regulations to be very well understood and to be very clear and transparent. Thank you. Very good. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. No, I agree. Agree with those points. Um, an, an interesting comment on, on came in terms of term, term, terms of how of how maybe maybe it's losing some of its share to the popularity of, of local structures through Asia. That's a it's a certainly an interesting aspect. Uh, Christine, maybe if I come to you um, across your business across your client base um, anything additional to add or, or what are you seeing in terms of kind of key trends in, in the private asset space at the moment yeah so so to add because i think david and michael summed it up quite uh, well but what we're seeing across our client base is um in addition to um the specialized managers the pe's uh, the real estate managers uh, expanding, so whether setting up vehicles either dedicated to a specific market, whether that's Japan, Australia, uh, emerging markets, uh, they're also looking at overseas vehicles and vice versa. So we have clients in, for example, who have an Iris 
uh, Irish vehicle or Lux vehicle and coming to us to say, you know, how do we then plug into the Asia investor base? How is distribution done? Um, so distribution in Asia is a big theme. Now to add, you know, ESG, I don't want to add too much to that because it is on top of every single uh, client's mind either to learn, uh, to adopt uh, some sort of reporting on that to ensure that they tick the box with the investors. And um, so that is a theme we're seeing. I want to add something that I see a lot in the, this part of my world is private assets vehicle, but with a Sharia angle. We see that because of the investor driving that in Southeast Asia, in MENA, uh, where they're raising capital. And then um, finally, a big big theme we're seeing is asset owners either increasing their allocation to indirectly to uh, the private asset space, including hedge funds. So they want to have a multi-asset portfolio. And, and that has been uh, rapidly growing the allocation. And um, also, like Michael said, hedge fund managers um, adding an open, a closed-ended hybrid or a fully hybrid fund, private debt, and, um, and, and adding to that. So it is the, the world is growing. And then crypto or digital assets as a sub or separate entity within um, our client's firm is something that we're seeing on the rise very much so. And in this part of the world, that's being, you know, investors are a little bit more open to uh, riskier assets like digital assets with a regulator who is very, very open uh, and helping uh, with either proof of concept or sandboxes. So we are certainly seeing having that dialogue as we um, at this point. Great, thanks, Christine. You know that's interesting, and, and certainly that that level of innovation um, is uh, interesting. Interesting in terms of kind of increasing the increasing the demand and and availability of these of these structures. Look, I think it's all you know from what you've all said. It's all looking at kind of increasing the the demand and trend towards these uh, alt alt assets as we call them. Nick, maybe we'll just come to you, maybe from an Irish perspective. Um, anything to add there in terms of additional trends you're seeing in terms of that private space or anything over and above what's, what, what the guys have already outlined? No, like a lot of themes are consistent with what we see. We, we have our, um, we do a, a kind of a, a global conference every year. So it's actually coming up on the 9th of November and we do a fundamentals report where we look at all of the funds that we've set up across all of our global offices, including in Asia. Um, and and look at fee trends and things like that as well and you know it's kind of interesting a lot of the themes here are coming out in that I mean, another area that we've seen a lot of interest in and a lot of demand is just given the growth in online shopping and the netflix and everything just the huge generation of data centers you know and, and infrastructure that's needed around that and we've done a lot of funds in that space over the last year as well um but you know healthcare we, we've you know set up healthcare funds in ireland in the last year as well um you know in that kind of closed-ended space uh, space, excuse me. Um, we've seen some trends globally in things like litigation funding, um, you know, a few other areas like that, or litigation financing. Um, yeah. But you know, very, very consistent with what we're hearing here. I think the European regulators are, aren't quite there yet on the, the kind of the crypto digital coin stuff. So you know, I think a lot of the funds that we've seen in that space outside of our European offices. But um, you know, I expect to see more, more development there. Mm -hmm. Great, yeah. Thanks, Nick. And I think I'd echo everything in terms of what we what, what, what we said and what we've seen there. Certainly agree in what we see across my own client base here. It's very much the trends is towards uh, these alternative assets. Um, well, maybe we just moved into to Q&A. Um, um, we have just a couple of questions through. Um, Nick, maybe if I could just maybe just um, 
if I can work my function here. If um, if I can maybe just uh, one of the questions here, I think that maybe you could take in terms of the process for for getting your funds proved approved uh, by the CBI can, uh, and the timeline involves and uh, kind of key key focus areas for the CBI. Can you maybe just touch on that uh, for for a couple of minutes um, for, for 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 the speakers for the attendees. Yeah, sure. And I, I think we, we, we touched a little bit on this at the beginning, just in terms of the, the, the kind of timeline around getting the investment manager clearance and mm -hmm. the um, you know the FNP fitness and probity for the, the GP directors and then the 24 hour process. I, th I think in, in that question there, I think that the, the uh, uh, participant was asking just a little bit about areas of focus, maybe for the central bank or what, what, what they've kind of been looking at more recently. And I, I guess um, there's a few things, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, kind of real estate funds and, and kind of loan origination funds will go through this kind of pre-submission mm -hmm. process. So I think that's just more, um, you know, just, just given the um, kind of systemic kind of importance of loans and, you know, and, and the banking system that the regulator was looking at that, but really um, just to ensure that the, the relevant requirements are, are addressed there. Um, we have seen a focus in, in Europe on fees, actually. Um, so um, the ESMA, the European Securities and Markets Authority, had launched a, kind of a, a consultation uh, over the last year, primarily focused on retail funds. But I, I think it's fair to say just generally in Europe, regulators, um, including the central bank, are, are focused on, on fees and I guess just ensuring that investors are getting value for money. Um, so the central bank have been looking at that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the thematic areas of inspection that we tend to see in Ireland tend to follow you know what what the European regulators are focusing on quite frankly so um you know be very consistent with you know Luxembourg or other areas where, where regulators are focusing on that as well and in terms of timelines um you know as I mentioned earlier if you have your service providers uh, lined up um if you know you're going to use and you've completed those agreements I mean in, in principle it's a 24-hour filing process now obviously you need to incorporate your GP and there's an incorporation time frame around that, but that would be similar to any kind of private fund structures where you need to go through that. And then just adding in those extra few weeks, as I mentioned, for uh, clearance of, of directors and things like that. Great, thanks very much, Nick. Um, and uh, thanks very much uh, everyone for that, uh, that that presentation. I think that was a really helpful run through in terms of in terms of what we're seeing um, across the industry, and indeed the the, the different local structures, uh, the ILP and the Hong Kong and Singapore structures. If you do have any questions, you know, feel free to contact us via the Irish Funds uh, website. We're very happy to, to follow up and engage with with any interested interested parties, particularly looking at the ILP structure. Um, but maybe without further ado, Michael, I might maybe just pass back to yourself um, to, to, to close um, this, this, this webinar. That's great. Thank you very much, Paul. That really nicely rounds up the hour, Paul. You probably don't need a watch for Christmas because I think your timekeeping has been excellent uh, this, this hour. It really uh, leaves me on behalf of AIMA and the Irish Funds to very much thank all the panelist speakers for their great insights uh, this afternoon, this morning. And obviously, Paul, for moderating the cats this morning, uh, moderating the panel very, very well. And uh, more importantly, last, a big thank you to the audience this morning, this afternoon, for taking the time to listen to all the insights. Uh, very good to have you all on board and uh, looking forward to seeing you at our next event. But last but not least, a survey will pop up in your screen very, very soon. Please take time to fill it in. And last but not least, goodbye from all of us. Take care. Bye-bye.